Lord God, we are reminded of your majesty and your power. We're reminded of how unprepared and how insignificant we are compared to the powers on this planet, the power of nature. Lord, we recognize how inadequate we are compared to the powers of the universe. Uh, But Lord, we know that you sit above all of those powers, that you can command them, but Lord, that you choose to love us and you choose to speak to us, to encourage us. And Lord, you choose to be known to us as our Father. Lord God, today I pray, this morning I pray, that you will speak to us and give us that reassurance that we need. That reassurance that we're special to you, that we do matter, and that we do have a part to play. Lord, strengthen us, guide us, encourage us, and challenge us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to take a couple of readings today. So the first reading we've got uh, that Sheila's going to read for us is taken from Mark chapter 5. And uh, and then we're going to take a reading from Acts chapter 20. So, Sheila, would you come and read to us um, Mark chapter 5? They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, where Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons with his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about two thousand in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake 
and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man, who had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the decropolis how Jesus had had done to for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once... Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking round to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, and trembling with fear, told him the truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child 
He's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone, not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. Thanks, Sheila. Do you notice in, in, in the, that passage the, the contrast that we see time and time again of sound and fury and silence and stillness? You see that uh, you know, there was you know, herds of pigs gall- galloping down to the, or whatever pigs do, galloping down to the, to the river, going over cliffs. There were, there were people shouting and screaming. And when Jesus came in, there was the man standing or sitting, fully clothed, peaceful and in his right mind. And in amidst the, the hubbub and the commotion of, of Jesus walking through the crowd, he was aware of someone who was in need. And he stopped and communicated with her. And, and when the, the young woman was lying newly deceased in her bed, the crowds that were around wailing and mourning, Jesus sent them away. And in peace, he spoke to her and told her to get up. I love that contrast. and I'm going to have to speak a bit more loudly in contrast to the, to the, the storm that we have here. But again, we can listen despite the storm, for that stillness. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 20. And it's we're reading from Acts chapter 20, verse 1 through to verse 12. And I've asked Derek to read this for us. And I've also asked Derek to read it uh, in an interesting way so that nobody falls asleep. Are you all awake? (laughs) This is Acts chapter 20, the first 12 verses. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He travelled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back to Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gius from Derby, Timothy also, and Titicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. 
but we sail from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. He was who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until mid-daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Jonathan's going to be using that passage uh, to speak to us a bit later on. So... uh, Look forward to hearing what he has to say there. We're going to sing together before Jonathan speaks to us. O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. That in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Jonathan, would you, uh, would you come and speak to us please? Morning, brothers and sisters, uh, friends and people. Um, it was indeed a was quite a uh, it was indeed a quite a scary journey coming over um, uh, in the uh, the rain and the wind. And uh, one thing I can guarantee is that there was no chance of me falling asleep at the wheel. Um, my uh, talk this morning is based on the Acts, uh, the few verses in Acts that we read, little section about uh, Paul's missionary journey and his um, visit to Troas. And it's quite nicely led on from the reading in Mark because it's about uh, dealing with or looking at people who are marginalised, vulnerable, which we certainly could see in the uh, reading from Mark. Uh, Jesus was always good at uh, bringing out those um, uh, people to the fore on the front. And here we have uh, another example this time through Paul. Uh, my title, I always give my talks titles, I don't know why, but I do. Um, this is titled, How to Not Fall Out of a Window and Die. Um, and I ask the question, have you ever fallen asleep at in an inappropriate place uh, or inappropriate time? I'm sure we'd all put our hand up. I've got two examples. Uh, my first one is my own. Um, I used the word courting, but you know, you understand what I mean. When I was going out with Cathy, um, uh, I used to drive across to Manchester on the Snake Pass from Sheffield, where I was studying. And that journey is an interesting journey. You've ever done the Snake, but I knew it very well because I drove it at least um, once or twice a week. And also through playing sport, I would travel on that journey a lot. So I knew the route very well. And if you know a route very well, you tend to get complacent, you tend to start thinking, I know what's coming next. 
And that was coming back late at night, very late at night, um, early hours of the morning probably. And I fell asleep at the wheel, probably for the first and hopefully last time ever. And I never forget, uh, because my car drifted across the road, hit the other curb, and that's what woke me up and jolted me. And I obviously grabbed the wheel and uh, came to a stop and shook for about five minutes as I gathered my thoughts. But obviously, as you know, the Snake Pass, it has lots of fairly treacherous places. The Lady Power uh, Reservoir was just to the right, and I could have gone straight into the... Anyway, I vowed never, ever, ever again to drive tired when I was nodding. I used to regularly be nodding at the wheel when I was going over the Snake, and I thought, I will never, ever drive like that again, and haven't done, hopefully. The other example was another sad case that you might remember was when um, a gentleman fell asleep again at the wheel of a car and was on the A1 or A64 or something and drove sadly into the East Coast main line, parked across the, uh, well, ended up across the tracks and a train came and a few people were killed. I always remember that story because it reminded me of my own. So I'm sorry to start like that, but it just... It was just something I always associate with this very, very uh, uh, this lesson. I'm not going to talk till 12, you'd be glad to know, at uh, midnight, that is. Um, it'll be a lot shorter, so hopefully you don't fall asleep. But you never know what can happen when you fall asleep and you don't intend to. So let's um, base our thoughts on this little section. Eutychus, I believe the name means good fortune. Uh, the Latin for his name, Eutychus, was for, uh, Fortuna, Fortunatus, so that's fortune. Not sure how fortunate he was, or I think he probably was fortunate in the end, wasn't he? He fell out of a third floor window, so you can imagine somebody sat at the top there. I'm not going to go up and, and, and take a, 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 um, talk to you from there, but uh, that would be interesting if I did. But imagine if you were, and I noticed the barrier across there as well, now I've stood here thinking that's helpful. Somebody isn't going to tipple out after they fall asleep and fall, fall down. But imagine the third floor uh, of a building, uh, open windows, uh, windowsill. He sat on the windowsill, falls asleep and falls out and falls down dead. And Luke, being the doctor that he was, uh, was obviously pretty convinced that he was dead from the story. It's a tragic story. Uh, this young man went to his new church to worship. Look what happened. He died. So how would you feel if somebody came into this church or the church service uh, attended in, in, in the same manner and died for, for some reason like that, falling out of a window. Would you become angry? Would you have thought, if only he hadn't come? Um, imagine what the boy's parents uh, was like. And I use the word boy because he uh, apparently he, um, he's likely to have been a young man in his 20s, uh, the, the way the text is handled. Um how would his parents and family feel? Would they be angry too? Why didn't God pinch Eutychus and wake him up before he fell out the window? Why didn't God notice that Eutychus was in trouble and in a precarious position? Why doesn't God stop bad things happening to good people? Do you ever feel that God has gone to sleep? Well, let's think about whether God was in control here and he knew what would happen next. And of course, this is recorded for our learning. We read in the Psalm, Psalm 121, May help, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. So I'm going to think about three lessons we can get from this story. The first one is make sure you stay close to God through Jesus Christ. So make sure you stay close to God through the closeness you have with Jesus Christ. A lot of people these days don't make um, their relationship with God a priority. Perhaps, perhaps less do. Um, but let's look at the um, verses in Acts. We know that they were gathering on, the, this is verse 7 in Acts 20, they were gathering on the first day of the week. Um, the early church gathered on the first day of the week, as we still do. This is their custom and their norm, and they got together and they broke bread together. They spent, they spent time with one another. Fantastic. We don't know what time uh, Paul started talking, but we know he wanted to keep talking until midnight. Pretty much some talk, but he was obviously desperate to cram everything in before he left. He wanted to get it all out and leave them with as much information, as much help, much encouragement that he could. Get the new church. He was thinking, I've got to support this new church. And the early church were making, um, getting together a priority in their life. That was good. And for them, maybe it wasn't a priority, it was the priority. But how close was Eutychus to this church? Now, I'm going to take a little bit of artistic license and develop the story a little bit. How close was Eutychus to his community of believers, to Jesus? And we know, as we've just said, the best place to be is as close to Jesus as possible. So here was Eutychus's initial problem. Where was he positioned? At the top, on a windowsill, at the back, uh, looking out the window maybe, gazing across at a beautiful scenery. It might be early evening, maybe. It was in the summer, I don't know. Um, we could probably work that out, couldn't we? He wasn't close to where Paul was. He wasn't sat at the front. He wasn't sort of hanging on his every word. He was he'd chosen to sit at the back, right at the back. Not close, not in the middle, at the back. He was on the edge. He was not on the floor. He was on a wall as well. He was on the windowsill, probably, of the window. Was he even paying attention was he trying really, really hard and nodding as you do when you start to fall asleep at the wheel in some cases? Um, perhaps he was in two minds. Perhaps he wanted to look out and, and, and keep an eye on his own house. Perhaps all the members of his household were there and he wanted to keep an eye on things outside and look at the fields and just look at the sunset or something. Perhaps he was daydreaming. Uh, he certainly could have been literally dreaming. But out of all the places he chose to sit, distance was important to him. Furthest distance possibly. I'm assuming that, of course. So some people find, uh, and here's a lesson we're coming on to, that some people find it's, comf it's comforting sometimes to be on the fringe. They want to stay where they think it's safer, where they don't have to get involved, where they're not going to be challenged, where they're not known. And uh, this was the worst part, I guess. On some level, uh, Eutychus thought it would be safer to keep his distance. He wouldn't be noticed, he wouldn't be asked questions, he could fall asleep if he wanted to and get on with whatever he was thinking about. Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. It was all about getting involved. So this is another lesson for us, is how do we encourage involvement? How do we help those or help ourselves who sometimes when we want to sit on the edges, on the fringes, on a personal level, how do we individually get involved 
in our church, in our activities. And of course, the important thing in all this is make sure you don't fall asleep. Now, of course, falling asleep can be a, a euphemism for many things in life, for switching off to uh, the real meaning and purpose. Um, we can be awake in the eyes of the world, but sleep towards God, can't we, in some Jesus? So for some people, it's not just about being close to the church. It's a, a attention to what happens in that church. So sometimes we can sing songs, but we don't worship. Sometimes we can listen to the talks and don't apply anything we, we, we gain from them. Sometimes we can talk to somebody, we, we, but we don't really engage with them. Um, sometimes we serve, but do it begrudgingly. So think how Eutychus um, might have been feeling just uh, uh, what was going through his mind as he was falling. Well, my first thought he would be going, ah, uh, um, why didn't I sit on the floor? Why didn't I sit closer if he had time to think those thoughts? Why, if only, if only, but it was too late. So don't fall asleep. We think of other people who fell asleep. Um, in, in Scripture, of course, um, Jonah fell asleep in the boats. Look what happened to him. Samson fell asleep. Look what happened to him. And we know Jesus also fell asleep as well. Slightly different context. So that's a useful thing to just look at sometimes when people have fallen asleep in the Bible. I'm sure there are other examples as well. So we've got to take our relationship with God seriously. Seriously enough not to fall asleep, so to speak. It's not something that we can deal with as an afterthought because Sometimes awful things can happen when you when you fall asleep. This is from Mark 13. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's the evening or midnight or dawn. He comes suddenly. You might let's not. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, is watch. Mark 14. Jesus went out to pray, of course, and he comes back to find his disciples asleep. And he asks, couldn't you even stay awake for one hour? However, um, I'm no expert on sleep, although obviously in my profession I've had a lot of people come to see me and say, I have trouble sleeping, can you help me? Um, And most people, of course, are wanting to, to stay asleep as opposed to stay awake. So it's unusual to have the opposite. There are a few people who have conditions where they fall asleep literally uh, very, very easily. But it's something we can train ourselves to do, of course, in a, both a physical, literal sense and a spiritual sense. And there's not uh, lots of techniques we can use in, in to help us both, um, sometimes to help us sleep, but in, more importantly, if we want to stay awake, how to keep uh, awake. But this is about spiritually staying awake. Romans, uh, there's a verse in Romans 13 that says, 
Uh, knowing the time, it's now high time to stay uh, awake out of your sleep. For now is your salvation nearer than when you believed. And finally, and I'm coming to an end, you'll be glad to know, so not a marathon talk. Uh, nobody looks like they're falling asleep, uh, but I'm not going to judge of that. Um, make sure you hang out with people who are good at staying awake and will look out for your sleepiness. So this is another point of the story about Eutychus. It's not necessarily about him falling asleep in church. It's not necessarily about him being close to the message uh, of Jesus and his redemption. You could say he wasn't paying attention. Um, He wasn't close enough to the action to stay awake. But he was still hanging out with Christians of Troas. He was still going to their church. Great, good, good for him. And if you think about it, that's what saved his life, by being there in church at that time. He could have been a very, um, uh, this could be a very common occurrence for this uh, young man. Eutychus could have been falling asleep at all sorts of uh, occasions in his life. Who knows? I'm expanding the story slightly by saying that. But um, this time he fell asleep and something tragic happened. He was in the right place to have his life saved. So sometimes, again, Think of the lessons we can. We so we don't feel in the right frame of mind. We're too tired to go to church. We're too tired to come and do something and help out. We can stay at home, stay as far away as possible. There's no chance that anything could happen, surely. But how much of a deep sleep uh, is that? So he came, and even though he was struggling, he came. He was still there at the back. He was doing his very best, perhaps, to stay awake. And of course, this is a story about uh, somebody on the periphery, uh, somebody who was very vulnerable to dying. And it's a story, of course, that finishes uh, well for him because it's a story about how God can save anyone. He perhaps wasn't the best example of somebody devoted uh, to the cause. He wasn't sat at the front, uh, like I say, uh, I've said before, hanging on Paul's every word. And even though you could say he made some bad choices, where he'd sat, where he'd been positioning himself, um, he was brought back to life despite those bad choices. And that was through the wonderful miracle. So when he fell out the window, you could say that's his fault. Paul obviously sees that, I reckon, from the front. He may have been he may have been the only one that was, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's still awake, but he could have been it could have been several other people, but Paul knew there was something about to happen runs down uh, and brings him back to life with that wonderful miracle. And he gives him a second chance at life. So the Apostle Paul, uh, immediately without much debate, put his whole belief in the Lord Jesus as well at that salvation. He put his faith on the line. I don't know how quickly Paul had prayed and said, Lord, help me, I'm going to save this man if it's your will. Of course, he had no choice in the matter possibly but he, he he perhaps had enough time to get that message out and I'm not sure um, how many times Paul raised people from the dead but he certainly did it on this occasion very clearly and we read that he went upstairs again broke bread and ate 
And I bet they were a little bit more um, uh, engaged. And perhaps Eutychus was sat on the front row now. <laughs> and he talked till daylight, not even by midnight, till daylight before he left. And they, people had all stayed, of course, they took him home and were greatly comforted. Um, were greatly comforted. So, why did God uh, let Eutychus fall asleep? Well, I, I, I'll leave you to, to work out that one. Was anybody else in the room uh, but the Apostle Paul awake, of course? We read continually uh, about sleep, surprisingly, uh, as I looked uh, closely uh, in the New Testament. The hour has come. Wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer, as I said. Uh, Ephesians uh, 5, this is. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as the unwise, sat at the back on the windowsill, looking out at the window, but as the wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So in conclusion, God's redemption comes to us in the midst of our problems, in the midst of our bad choices, in the midst of our brokenness in this case. He was a pretty broken man at the bottom, at the bottom of that window. And even if we're daft enough to fall out of a window because we fell asleep, God is still thinking about us. God's still there for us. And now nobody's suggesting we go and sit on windowsills at the back of Ra's rooms and attempt to fall asleep to see what would happen. And, and so God can then subsequently bless you in some way. But we have a choice of how we do and what we do in our lives. Of course, God can perform miracles in all parts of our life. The simple, I think, lesson for this, um, uh, from this uh, little uh, section of Acts, of course, is, is trying to remain close to Jesus. Don't fall asleep. But we still have to understand that if we do, God is still going to be there. We have a choice to stay close to Jesus. We have a choice to try not to fall asleep. And we have a choice, as we are doing today, to spend time with people who have the ability to help you when you feel sleepy and potentially fall.